just a moment. But again, welcome. We've got three, I have three hopes every time um, I begin a foundations class. And we offer this class two times a year. And I'm hoping for three things. First, I am hoping that wherever you are in your faith journey, that this will be a time where you can deepen your love for the Lord and deepen your understanding of his call on your life. So that's the first thing. The second thing, my hope, is that you all will get to know each other. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit more difficult in this you know, COVID time with a mask and everything, but I do hope you all will come early, we'll have coffee, and get to know each other through our time together. And thirdly, I want to get to know you all. Again, I had a chance to chat with some of you personally beforehand, and I hope to have some more of those conversations. But we want you to feel like, as you come to make St. Philip's your home, we want you to feel like you know a, a member of the clergy team. There are five of us on staff. Um, it can be a big church. It can be easy to get a little lost in the shuffle, but we want you to feel like you are connected here, that you have a place, and that if, you know, if something's going on and you need someone to um, pray with you, you, you can pick up the phone and feel like, I can call Andrew, and he'd be glad to pray with me, to pray for me, um, to walk with me as we walk through this great journey together. So those are my three hopes, to deepen your love for God, uh, to get to know one another, and for us to get to know each other um, as well. Now, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping this morning. Um, I think you all checked in with Ellen. Did everybody meet Ellen? Stand up, my wife, Ellen. She will be here each and every week. If you've got questions and I'm not around, um, ask Ellen. If she doesn't know the answer, she'll ask me and, and we'll, we'll get your question answered. But she'll be here um, each Sunday morning greeting you all as you come in. And as my uh, partner in crime and my team, uh, my, my, my partner in ministry. You all got a copy of this Foundations Field Guide. It's yours to keep. Please take a moment to put your name on the back. You are welcome to take it with you or to leave it here, e either one. But we want to make sure that you've got it with you each and every Sunday because this is your ticket to pass the course. If you don't have this, you're probably not going to pass. I'm just kidding, of course. But um, each and every week, there is an outline of what I'll be talking about. And there will be um, a little space, again, a little thought primer where you can fill in the answer just to get your mind thinking about the topic that we'll be discussing um, each and every week. If you'll flip back to the open cover, you'll notice that there's a little schedule here that talks about each topic. And if you look very closely, you'll notice that um, on this column over here, on the right-hand column, is a chapter number. That chapter number corresponds to... This book, Christian Basics, this is uh, the foundation for the course or the basis for the course. So let me say this about the book. You are welcome to take it with you or you're welcome to leave it behind. Okay, it, it's, it's, it's a resource for you. The reason you might want to take it with you is for two reasons. Number one, because sometimes you might want to say, you know, I, I didn't quite understand this part of the class. Let me go back and kind of reread and, and, and look at that. That's the first reason. Sometimes I can be a little bit of a motor mouth. I can get going too fast. You might think I just, whatever he was saying. Whoosh. Um, but secondly, we want to make sure if you miss a class, because sometimes you might miss a class, stuff happens. We want to make sure that you keep up with us as we move forward. Now, for some, some of you are readers. Some of you are visual learners. So having a book would be the best way to keep up. 
But I'm also going to be recording each class. We are going to put it on a podcast feed. You can either you know, listen to it from the website or if you use a podcast feeder, you can listen to it that way. I tend to, to learn better that way. I'm an audible learner. So however you learn, we want to make sure that you can keep up with us if you have to miss a Sunday. So again, take the book with you if you'd like um, or leave it behind if you think I'm not going to ever read that book. That's fine. If you do take it, we ask, I ask that you text me the book number. Um, I feel a little sheepish about this. Normally, we just buy the book for you and give it to you. And if you really want this book by the end of the class, you can have it. Just let me know. But this book is out of print, and so we do use it each and every semester. So generally speaking, most people are like, okay, I used it. I don't want to keep it in my library, and they bring it back. So we just ask that you do that as well. So that's Christian Basics. It's a great book. And um, I'll be talking about the author, John Stott, as we go through, who is an Anglican priest and um, very much really shaped the thinking of the church um, in, these, in these modern times in a, in a wonderful way, and a faithful way. So that's Christian basics. The other thing I want to talk about before we move on to today's topic um, is I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to bring it with you. Now, we will have these classroom Bibles available for you to use each and every Sunday, and you're welcome to use that classroom Bible. But I sometimes find in my own Christian walk that sometimes I'll come across a passage of Scripture. I think, you know, that, that really spoke to me. That was significant. And I might want to make a little note in my margin, uh, maybe put the date, maybe put a little, you know, just a little, um, little commentary on it, a little, little note about that particular passage. Well, obviously, you can only do that if you bring your own Bible. So I'd encourage you to do that. Now, I don't want you to bring your grandmother's family heirloom, King James Version of the Bible. The King James Version was written in Elizabethan English. It's beautiful. It's wonderful to to have it read in the church. We do that on, on Lessons and Carols every Sunday. But the point of reading God's Word is to understand and is to have God speak to us through His Word. And what we don't want to do is put a layer of confusion between us and the Word of the Lord. And let's face it, none of us here speak Elizabethan English. We don't say thee and thou, um, except in prayer and church and maybe saying the Lord's Prayer. So get a modern translation of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you need some help getting one, I'd be happy to give you some recommendations. Some examples of modern translations would be the NIV, ESV, RSV, NRSV. There are lots of other ones. Um, The one that we use here in church is the ESV. That's the copy that's um, in your seats there that we've got for you. There, again, there are lots of modern uh, versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible that are great, but you need a modern translation. So um, make sure you got that at home, and, it, and I'd encourage you to bring it with you on Sunday mornings. Last thing in terms of housekeeping is I want to say a word about who this class is for. I've taught this class several times, and I've learned that I think it'll help you get more out of it if you understand who is here taking it this morning. Generally, you all fall into one of three groups. The first group are those who are new to the Christian faith. And so this is your opportunity to find out what is it all about? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I live out my Christian faith? Um, Several semesters, we've had persons who've been part of the class, and this has been their preparation for baptism. So that's the first category. The second category are those who grew up in the church, If I gave you a little test on all the Sunday school answers, you could probably tell me some of the Sunday school answers. But truth be told, you don't really know 
you know maybe what we believe, but we don't know why we believe it. You don't know how all the pieces fit together, and you have no idea how it's supposed to translate into your life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on. So you grew up in the church, but you want to know what it's, what it's really all about. How do you live out this faith? So that's the second category. Those who know the Sunday school answers, but maybe don't know how the pieces fit together. The third category of those of you who grew up in the church, you're alive in your faith, you know the Sunday school answers, you know how the pieces go together, but you're new to this community. And so this is an opportunity for you to get to know some people, for you to get to know me, uh, for you to revisit the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith, and we'll talk a little bit about how do we live out the Christian faith in this branch of the Christian family tree that we call Anglicanism. How is, what sort of the Anglican flavor? Now we have some customs and traditions. At the end of the day, those things don't matter for eternity, but they're just how we live out our faith. Again, like family, family traditions that we have. Now, most of my focus is going to be on the fundamentals of the faith. What we're going to be talking about would be uh, true in any faithful church you went to, whether it was a faithful Methodist church or a faithful Lutheran church, faithful Baptist church, 90% of what we're going to talk about would be, um, would be acknowledged in any of those branches of the Christian family tree. We'll talk a little bit again about some things that are particular to Anglicanism, but that's not going to be the main focus. So if you have questions about, well, what do you Anglicans think about this? Or what, what, what is, how do the Anglicans view this? Please, I want to encourage you to ask questions. Raise your hand, you know, stop me. Say, wait, 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 Andrew, um, how do, how, what's the Anglican answer to this? And I'd be glad to address that, okay? Usually I have my name tag on. By the way, I am Andrew. I assume you'll know that, but I usually try to wear my name tag on. But anyway, um, so that's who is in the course. Three different classes of people who really are looking for three very different things. But I'm going to make you all a 100% money-back guarantee that everybody is going to get something out of the class, no matter which category you're in. God's going to show up for all of you. For everyone who comes faithfully seeking, God's going to show up. He is always faithful. So that's my 100% money back guarantee to you all. Now, you might have had a chance to, um, those of you who are really fast readers, to look at some of these topics in here. Topics like how to become a Christian, how to be sure you're a Christian, how to grow as a Christian. And you might be saying to yourself, now come on. Why, Why do we have, doesn't everybody already know the answers to those questions. Well, I can assure you, having taught this class many times, that there is going to be something for everyone. Something for everyone. Because as it turns out, and as we're going to talk about this morning, there are actually a lot of different answers to these questions that don't always agree. And so we want to know, what do we as faithful Christians believe about these things? So that's my 100% money-back guarantee. There will be something in the class each and every week for every person who is earnestly seeking the things of God. Well, let's move on to the meat of today's class. Uh, Today's class is entitled, What is Christianity? I had you all um, fill in in your little foundations field guide the answer to the question, a Christian is someone who, and we're going to pull out in just a moment. Um, But if I could rephrase it, I would say, what is the heart of Christianity? Anytime we have um, some young parents who come to have their child baptized, and oftentimes we'll have um, those persons in this class, we'll have a couple joining us next week who would fit into this category. But when a couple comes and they want to have their infant baptized, we'll sit them down and we'll have a little conversation. I'll, I'll ask them. 
I'll say, look, you are going to be making a solemn vow before God and before his church. Will you be responsible for seeing that the child you present is brought up the Christian faith and life? I will with God's help. Well, what does that mean? What is the Christian faith and life? And I will tell you all that more often than not, and I kind of rib our parents about this a little bit, but, but more often than not, the answer that I'll get to that question, what is the heart of Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is the Christian faith and life? The answer typically is something along the lines of this. Being a Christian is being a good person. It's knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's about helping little old ladies across the street. Now, a person who believes that, that this is the heart of Christianity, they, they might even say, you know, it doesn't even matter what you believe so much as you do the right thing. This is what John Stott in our book refers to as a code of conduct. That is, Christianity is about right and wrong, morality. Now, to be sure, Christianity does teach us about right and wrong. In fact, I would argue that Christianity has the highest moral code of any other religion. For Jesus himself said this, it is, it is the ethic of love. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. But friends, as true as this might be, if you just stop and think about it, this can't be the heart of Christianity. Why? Because you all, I'm sure, know all sorts of people, maybe some neighbors, maybe people you work with, who are trying to live an upright life, they are trying to be good people, they are trying to be moral, but who would never make any bones about being a Christian. So this can't be the heart of Christianity. Being a good person, doing the right thing, as important as those things are. Well, others might say, okay, well, well, maybe the heart of Christianity is about believing the right things. If you, if you believe everything contained in the creeds, then that is what makes you a Christian. And while it's true that we do have beliefs as Christians that are very important to us, in fact, each and every Sunday, we recite what we believe um, in the Apostles' Creed, if it's a morning prayer Sunday, or the Nicene Creed, if it's a communion Sunday, it's also true, as we see in God's word, that even the devil himself believes everything in these creeds to be true. If you read the book of James, the letter of James is near the end of the Bible. James wrote this. He said, he's writing to the church, writing to Christians. He says, you all believe that God is one. You do well. That is good for you. Well, even demons believe that and shudder. That is, at least the demons have enough sense to shudder about the fact that God is one. You all just take it for granted. So the devil himself believes everything in the creeds to be true, and yet that certainly doesn't make the devil a Christian. So the heart of Christianity has got to be something more than a set of beliefs, as important as these are. Well, still others might say, okay, maybe being a Christian is about being baptized and going to church and taking communion what John Stott in our book refers to as a cult. Now, this is not cult in the modern sense. I'm not talking about, you know, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. I'm talking about cult in the classical sense. If you took a religion course in college, 
Um, a cult is basically a system of belief, a, a system of worship. In, in the case of, of Christians, you know, our, our, our cluster of ceremonies would be baptism, uh, Holy Communion, confirmation, and so on. And while it's true that going to church and being baptized and receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion are very important. In fact, we do these things because Jesus told us to do them. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So we baptize because Jesus told us to baptize. And we take communion. Why? Because Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it, that is the wine, in remembrance of me. So as important as these things are, and, and even though we do them because Jesus told us, commanded us to do them, I have to tell you all, and I say this with some sadness, that it's possible to be baptized. It's possible to attend church regularly, to receive communion regularly, and to miss the heart of Christianity. The most extreme example of this, and I I hate to use this example, but it's true, uh, Adolf Hitler was an altar boy. Surely he missed the heart of Christianity. Well then, what's the heart of Christianity? Some might say, well, maybe, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, a combination of all of these three things. Maybe, maybe if we took a code of conduct and a creed of beliefs and a cult and we, and we put all that together in one person, maybe that's what makes them a Christian. Well, even this, my friends, is not the heart. Because it's possible, it's rare, but it's possible to be upright in your conduct, to be orthodox in your belief, to be conscientious in your religious observance, and still to miss the heart of Christianity. Perhaps the classical example of this is this man. Does anybody happen to know who that is? Anybody? No, we've got some, we've got some former Methodists, is that right? Okay, this is a very important person to you. Very important. Any other? Wesley's John Wesley. This is John Wesley, Anglican priest and father of the Methodist movement. You may not have known that the Methodist church uh, was born out of an Anglican priest, but that's uh, who Wesley was. And I want to tell you his story. John Wesley was born in 1703, and in 1729, at the ripe old age of 26, John Wesley and his buddies founded this club that they called the Holy Club. Now, the purpose of the Holy Club was to help these young men be the best Christians that they could be. And I'm glad you all are sitting down because when I tell you all what they did, it's just it's going to wear you flat out. You wouldn't be able to take it standing up. I can hardly stand up and tell you about what these guys did. These men were admirable in every way. They were orthodox in their belief. They believed everything to be true in the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the 39 Articles. We'll talk about the 39 Articles later, but that's our Anglican statement of, of belief, what we believe. They believed all of it to be true without any reservation. They lived an impeccable life. They met several evenings every week to discuss literature, to improve themselves. Um, They would work on perfecting their timetables. Now, this is before, you know, day timers and Google Calendar. I don't know how these guys were doing it, you know, but they were making a little timetable. Okay, at 9 o'clock, I'll do this. At 10 o'clock, I'll do this. At 11 o'clock, I'll do that. They visited debtors' prisons to encourage people. They founded a school in a slum and they paid the teachers out of their own pockets. These men were full of good words. They were also very religious. 
They attended Holy Communion every week. They fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. They kept their traditional hours of prayer, you know, like a monks or nuns in a, in a monastery or a convent. So they prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, they prayed in the afternoon, they prayed at night, and so on. They observed both Saturday and Sunday as the Sabbath, just to be sure their bases were covered. Now, I don't know about you all, but, but when I read over what these guys did, I mean, I feel like a complete and total slacker, spiritual slacker. I mean, it's just, it's exhausting what they did. Yet, in spite of this extraordinary combination of orthodox belief, upright living, pious religious observance, John Wesley later realized that at this time in his life, he was not yet a Christian. Now, just let that sink in. The man that I just described to you said of himself during this time of his life that he had missed the heart of Christianity. He described it as having the faith of a slave and not that of a son. To Wesley, religion meant bondage, not freedom. But God began a turning point in Wesley's life when a few years later, at the age of 32, as an ordained clergyman in the Church of England, Wesley left his native Britain and made his way to the New World to be a chaplain to the colonists and to the Native Americans. And in his own words, this venture was a complete and total failure. After two years, Wesley gave up, tucked tail, and returned home. And he wrote these words in his diary as he was making that long passage back from the Americas, a defeated man, back to England. Listen to what he wrote in his diary. He said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? And then later in his diary, he wrote this. What have I learned myself in the meantime? Why, what I the least of all suspected, that I, who went to America to convert others, was never myself converted to God. Now, how on earth could the man that I have just described to you say such a thing? What was missing? What was the heart of Christianity that had eluded Wesley? If the essence of Christianity is not a creed of beliefs or a code of conduct or a, a cult of ceremonies, then what is it? Well, John Wesley found out one night when he went to a meeting, what we might in our day call a Bible study, but he went to this meeting where the person who was leading the meeting was reading from the writings of that great German monk, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther in this, this document was himself talking about a book from the Bible, the book of Romans. And Wesley was listening as Luther was explaining through this book what was happening in uh, the letter to the Romans. And Wesley described what happened to himself this way. He said, while Luther was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
You see, what Wesley discovered in that moment is that Christianity is not a system of any kind. In fact, strictly speaking, it's not a religion. At its heart, Christianity is a person. It's this man. It's Jesus Christ. And to be a Christian is to have a relationship with that man, a living, life-giving, personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to pause here and ask the question. Again, this, this is not for anyone to share out loud, but I'm curious. How does this definition of Christianity match up with your answer to the question, a Christian is someone who? If the heart of the Christian faith is a person, Jesus Christ, and to be a Christian is to have a relationship with him, how does that compare to your own answer? Now, perhaps some of you came here today, like John Wesley in his earlier life, thinking that at its heart, Christianity was about being a good person or believing the right things or, or, or being faithful in your church observance. And if that's the case, I hope to give you all a fresh understanding of what the heart of Christianity really is. Now, there might be part of you that says, come on. I mean, come on, Andrew. That man, that Jesus, if, if, if he is God, I mean... How am I supposed to have a friendship with that man? How, how am I supposed to be, isn't it a little presumptuous to say I could be a friend of God? But don't take my word for it. All we have to do is look at what Jesus said. He said to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Again, that was the religion of Wesley, the, Wesley, the, the, the religion of a slave. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And here's the beautiful reality. Once you step into that relationship with this man, all those things that we have just been talking about, all those things that people confuse for the heart of Christianity, all those things are the fruit of a relationship with that man. Your morality, your belief about what's true, uh, your religious observance, all those things flow out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the heart. And it's out of that heart that the fruit comes. But I want to press further in. I want to talk a little bit about what on earth it means to have a relationship with Jesus because I can talk about that and, and we can talk about it in abstract terms, but what does that really mean? Well, it means three things. To have a relationship with Jesus first means knowing Christ. Now, my hunch is that if, if I took all of you and I said, give you a piece of paper, I said, okay, write down some things about Jesus. I bet all of you could... Regardless of where you are in your Christian walk, I bet you all could write down some facts about Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, his mother's name was Mary. He died on the cross. That's not the kind of knowing I'm talking about here. The kind of knowing that I'm talking about here is to know him as friend. In fact, it's the kind of thing that, that we hope will happen among you all and among us, that we will grow in our friendship, that we will get to know each other, not just facts about each other. I know your name. I know your occupation, but that we would know each other. That's the kind of knowing that we're talking about here. And, and if you come here today and you're saying, I, you know, I don't know if I can say I know that man as a friend. Well, that's great. That's what the course is all about. How do you step into that relationship? How do you keep that relationship alive? So Christianity is knowing Christ. It is also 
trusting him as Savior. And this means coming to an understanding of why we need saving in the first place. Now, for all of the good that Wesley's Holy Club did, and they did do some wonderful things. We want to acknowledge that. I want to pause this. This is kind of a deep question. So let's see if anybody can ponder. At the end of the day, when it came to Wesley's standing before God, what was Wesley actually trusting in? Any guesses? Hmm? Himself. Himself. Why do you say that? Yes, if I'm a good enough boy, if I'm a faithful enough Christian, well, then God will have to accept me. I mean, that's kind of what Wesley realized that he was doing. And that's why it was the faith of a slave. Because how much can you slip up and fall before the standard of God, fall below God's standard? And that, that's, that's the religion that Wesley had. He was trusting in himself. But to be a Christian is not to trust in yourself. It's to trust in Christ. Wesley came to that point that all Christians have got to come to at some point in their life when he realized that all of his good works, as good as they might have been by human standards, when compared to the goodness of God, were just filthy rags. Quick question. What color is that circle? What color is that triangle? What color is that square? That's funny. I thought that square was gray. Now, when it was standing all alone, it looked white. And that's kind of like our good works. We think, well, you know, I helped a little lady across the street today. I'm a good, upstanding citizen. People say, you know, Andrew Odell is a, is, a, is a good member of the community. But as you begin to step closer and closer to God, as you begin to come to know God through his living and life-giving word, when you begin to see what God's standards of what real goodness is, of what real love is, of what real mercy is, and you start to compare yourself against that, all of a sudden, what looks so good by itself doesn't look so good anymore. That's the first place you have to come to as a Christian to realize that my works, well, it's as the prophet Isaiah put it. He said, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts like filthy rags. That's the realization that Wesley came to. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, had the exact same kind of experience. He described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. That is, um, Paul was a faithful Jewish man. He knew God's law and he followed God's law to the strictest letter of the law. Open your Bibles. I want to take a look, have you take a look at something that Paul wrote. We're going to look at his letter to the church in Philippi. It's called Philippians, uh, chapter 3. If you're using this Bible here, it's page 981. And you can keep that open because we're going to kind of look at this several times um, in this last section of today's class. Again, we're talking about that realization that a person comes to about his own good deeds when compared to God. Paul said this. He said, if anyone else thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. In other words, even though Paul was born 1,700 years before John Wesley, if he'd come up on John Wesley, you know, if they'd walked across each other on the street, Paul would have said, Wesley, you're a little holy club, ain't got nothing on me. 
You want good works? I'll show you good works. Why? I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But then something happened to Paul. Something happened to him on the road to Damascus. And that's, that's what, what's about to change here. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. So imagine, if you will, an old-fashioned ledger. Um, probably very few of you have actually seen one of these in person. This is a paper ledger, okay? Um, I worked at a store, Reed Brothers, in downtown Charleston that's been closed for some time, and they had, you know, an old, everything was written down. It was very old school, even uh, for the 90s when I was working there. But, you know, an old-fashioned ledger, you write down the item, and then you put the dollar amount either in the credits column or the debits column, a good or a bad. What Paul is saying is everything I thought, all my good works that I thought belonged in the credits column that made me a good boy, all of a sudden when I encountered the living God, I realized all those things don't belong in the credits column. They belong in the debts column. Why? Because I know my heart. I know that even when I, again, helped that little old lady across the street, I was doing it just to get a pat on the back. (laughs) You know, even my best works have a little bit of selfishness mixed in with them. So everything that I had on the credits column, I put in the debts column. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, rubbish is like a Sunday school translation. Really, the, the word that Paul is using here, it's more like crap. I mean, it's, it's, a, not, it's a potty mouth word, not a kind of word you want to um, teach little children. So we've got the Sunday school version, rubbish. Why? In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Here's the key. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that is being a good person, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, what is Paul saying here? He's saying that he exchanged the faith of a slave for the faith of a son. It's the exact same thing that Wesley was saying and that Wesley had experienced. He had been adopted into God's family. How? How did he go from being a slave to being a son? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. And the key to that shift is this. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and trusting him as Savior. Paul described his trust in Jesus this way. He said, again, down here at the bottom, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let me explain it to you all with an analogy, if I may. Let's just say that I hired someone to mow my lawn. Take care of the place. Let me ask you all, 
If this person that I've hired is to stay in my good graces, or if we were to put it in sort of churchy terms, if we were to have a righteous relationship, that's what righteousness is, the right relationship, what is that person that I've hired to mow my lawn, what has he got to do if he wants to stay in a righteous relationship with me? What's that? Mow the lawn, but he's got to do better than that. He's got to mow the lawn. What's he got to do if I'm going to keep him as my lawnmower? Mow the lawn? I mean, what if he gouges the, uh, you know, gouges the side of the yard? What if he misses a few spots? What am I going to do? He's got to do it well. Um, if, if the person that I'm paying money, if I've hired to come mow my lawn, doesn't do a good job, what am I going to do? Fire him and get a new person. I mean, I, I hired you to mow my lawn. If you can't mow my lawn, I'm going to hire someone else. Unless, of course, the person that I've hired is one of my children. Their standing with me has nothing to do with how good a job they do on the, on the yard. Now, it's true, if they do a bad job, I might be frustrated with them. I might have to chide them or correct them. Um, I might be disappointed in them. But it doesn't matter what they do to the law. Nothing will change the nature of our relationship. Father, daughter, father, son. Their relationship with me is not dependent on their performance. Do you see the two different categories? Wesley and Paul went from being a servant, a hired servant, dependent on how good a job they did, to being sons, children of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And it changed everything. It changed everything. This is what we in the church call, it's kind of hard to see, righteousness. A right relationship. I know that I'm right with God. Not because I'm a good boy. I'm not. I know what's in here. But because Christ is pure and perfect and good and loving always. And his righteousness gets credited to me through faith. Paul expressed it in a different letter this way. He said, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And how do we get that righteousness? By trusting in Jesus. So, to be a Christian is to know Christ, it is to trust Christ, and finally, it is to obey Christ. To return from this passage to Ephesians that we've been looking at, um, Paul described Christ as Jesus, my Lord. Now, this is a phrase that we throw around a lot. We'll say, Jesus, my Lord, Jesus, my Lord. But Jesus himself challenged us when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? To have Jesus as Lord is to be obedient to him. It means that he directs everything in our lives and we gladly obey him. We bring everything to his lordship, our jobs, our home life, our relationships, our aspirations, our hopes, our dreams. And our desire is to do this, to follow and obey him as Lord. And that flows out of that relationship, that relationship of trust. Because it becomes the most important relationship that we have. So this is what it means to be a Christian, to know Christ, 
as friend, to trust Christ as Savior, to obey Christ as Lord. Now, I'm going to ask you next week, I'm going to say, when we start class, I'm going to say, who can tell me the heart of Christianity? I want you to be able to say, the heart of Christianity is a person, it's Jesus. And to be a Christian is to have a relationship with him. It's to know him, to trust him, and to obey him. Well, I'm going to stop there. I think that is enough for today. I'm going to try to close at 10.15 every Sunday. Let me say one other housekeeping thing before you go. Um, we want, because most of you all are new to St. Philip's, we, we, want, we want to make sure you all have a, just, just a wonderful entry into this wonderful family of God. So one of the logistical things that we're having to do in this season is you've got to register for church, the service, and you've also got to register, those of you who have children, you've got to register your children for child care, okay? So Joy is going to reach out to you all tomorrow um, by email. If you've got a preferred service, um, that is, if you think, okay, generally speaking, I want to come to Foundations and then go to the 1030, or I want to go to the 815 and then come to Foundations, um, let Joy know, and we'll reserve a, don't tell anybody, it's our little secret, we'll reserve a spot for you all um, so that you don't have to worry about doing that during this time through Foundations. Um, now, I know that those of you who are bringing kids, I know sometimes just, just getting here is, you know, is all you can do just to get here, to get here for Foundations, so I, I, we understand, but we want to, and anything we can do to encourage you all to be um, active in the life of worship, we want to do. So Joy will be reaching out, you just let her know how we can serve you in terms of getting you pre-registered. Questions? Okay, well, let me pray for us. I'm going to send you all out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your son, Jesus. And I thank you that in your great love for us, you have sent him into the world to be the bearer of our sin, but to be a friend, to be indeed our brother. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would settle your spirit afresh upon these, your sons and daughters, as we go our separate ways. And use us, we pray, um, in our life, out in the world, to take your blessing everywhere we go and bring us back again, we pray, safely next week. For we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all, and we will see you next week. And feel free to grab more.